You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. prophecy is taught correctly, then Jesus would be magnified. Jesus would be lifted up and all eyes then would be focused on Jesus because he is the centrality of the entire Bible. Jesus is the centrality of the entire Bible, beginning all the way back in Genesis, all the way through to the book of Revelation. He is the entire theme of the Bible, God's redemptive plan for mankind. In today's message, Pastor Dave will share with you about the spiritual gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is a gift from the Holy Spirit, and it is one that is often very misunderstood. If the gift of prophecy was destigmatized and used in an appropriate and effective way in the church, Jesus would be glorified. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 12, as he begins his message, Prophecy Fulfilled. Today we are looking at John 12, and we're specifically in 12 through 19 verses. So if you open your Bibles to John 12, looking at verses 12 through 19, we are at a very familiar and exciting passage today. And I'm going to look at it at a little different slant than normally is looked at, staying with the scriptures, but using them to describe something that the Lord has placed upon my heart. So if you have found your way to John chapter 12, I'm going to read these verses aloud if you would like to follow along silently. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Today we are, like I said, coming to very familiar territory. Extremely familiar territory, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and every Palm Sunday, it's taught in one manner or the other. I've taught it here many times on a Palm Sunday. If you look at all four Gospels, they carry this particular event. And all four of them have a little slightly different slant, adding things that when you add all four of them together, you come up with an entire 
picture of what indeed is being said. But as I said, I want to take a sort of a different approach. As I look at this event this morning, I want to look at it in the context of biblical prophecy. I want to look at it in the context of biblical prophecy. Did you know that prophecy constitutes over one-third of the entire Bible? Prophecy takes up about one-third of the entire Bible. But sadly, the importance of prophecy is constantly downplayed. There are those who even dismiss it as having no practical significance whatsoever. And there are those who object to prophecy on the grounds that it's a fad. And it takes people's eyes off of Jesus. I don't understand this thinking. How can you dismiss prophecy in the face of scriptures like Revelations 19.10, which clearly says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? Maybe the problem is that prophecy is not being taught, or when it's taught, it's not being taught correctly. So it could be reasonable to say that if prophecy is properly taught, there is no reason for it to divert people's eyes from Jesus Christ. In fact, just the opposite should be true. If prophecy is taught correctly, then Jesus would be magnified. Jesus would be lifted up, and all eyes then would be focused on Jesus because he is the centrality of the entire Bible. Jesus is the centrality of the entire Bible, beginning all the way back in Genesis, all the way through to the book of Revelation. He is the entire theme of the Bible, God's redemptive plan for mankind. This redemptive plan happens through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you read the Old Testament, you find that it is filled, filled to overflowing with prophecies. 353, someone said. All these prophecies in the Old Testament with references to the coming Messiah. I call it Christ concealed. And as we study the life of Jesus found in the four Gospels, you find that all of these prophecies... All these prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of them. So I call the New Testament Christ revealed. So in today's verses, the Apostle John continues to give us clear proof and evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. And in today's verses, I see prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy fulfilled. Let's look at verse 12. I'm going to read three words. The next day. The next day. Remember throughout the study of the Gospel of John, every time something was happening with Jesus, even all the way back to the wedding feast at Cana in chapter 2, and many, many other times, when they would surround Jesus or they would try to take him or they would try to make him king or whatever, Jesus would say, my hour has not come. It's not my time. On this particular day, on this particular day, precisely when it was prophesied, and we'll get to that in a minute, Jesus' time had come. And it's important that we look at it that way in the preciseness of God. 
and how prophecy has been precisely fulfilled through all of these years through the Bible that prophecy has been precisely filled. In order to look at this, we need to go all the way back to a man, a young man by the name of Daniel. And we need to look at Daniel 9 in verses 24 and 25, something called the 70-week prophecy. The 70-week prophecy. I'm going to read 24 and 25 to you from Daniel 9. It says in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. All right. A beautiful prophecy known as the 70-week prophecy. Now, I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you. Don't get sidetracked on the numbers. Please don't get sidetracked on the numbers as they come out, because they will make sense if we take to the end. But note this. This prophecy about the coming Messiah is both not only remarkable, it is extremely precise. Extremely precise. So here it is. Seven sevens and 72 sevens from the time the commandment goes forth to restore and build Jerusalem to Messiah the Prince. The prophecy was written by the prophet Daniel in the first year of Darius the king, in the year 538 B.C. About 95 years later, in 445 B.C., the commandment was finally given by Artaxerxes, who was king, who told Nehemiah to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, for those of you scholars out there, probably are asking, well, what about Ezra? True. A couple kings did give Ezra the right to go and rebuild the temple. To rebuild the temple. But this commandment was to restore the walls and to restore the city itself. And this is the one that is specific. This one right here, start the clock ticking. This started the clock ticking on Daniel's prophecy. Now, a man by the name of Sir Rawlinson did an extensive study on this, and he wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And he actually went to the palace of Shushan, and he found these scrolls, which were dated March 14th, 445 B.C. Actually dated March 14th, 445 B.C. He transposed it into our language. This was when the time started ticking. This is an important date because according to this prophecy and this promise, that's the time when everything starts. There'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay, don't get confused. Hang on. Like my biology teacher used to say, hold on tight, we're going around a corner. He would say that every time he got to an important thing. It's important to know that these sevens represent Seven-year cycles. Seven-year cycles. 
And so from March 14th, 445 B.C., according to Daniel's prophecy, the Messiah should come in 483 years from the time of this commandment. That's what he's saying. Okay, all well and good. Now comes the math. Hang on. Daniel prophecy was based on the Babylonian calendar. It's a calendar that carried a 360-day year. 360-day year. Now, if you want to do everything right, you have to transpose everything. You have to take 483 times 360, and you come up at 1,173,880 days. If you work your way back, if you work your way back, you get to April 6, 32 A.D. April 6, 32 A.D. Why is that important? This is the next day. The next day is April 6th, 32 A.D. Exactly the time when Daniel prophesies. Exactly to the date. I don't know about you, but that gives me chills. I get excited when I see that kind of stuff. When I see that kind of stuff, that really... It really fires me up. This is what John Corson said about this, this day. Quote, it was a Sunday, the 10th day of Nisan, by our calendar, the 6th of April, several days before the Feast of Passover. According to the book of Exodus, it was the day when the family celebrating Passover would choose a lamb for sacrifice. The priest would watch the lamb closely from the 10th to the 14th day of Nisan in order to ensure it was in the best of health and was without blemish or flaw. Now, picture in your minds, tens of thousands of lambs being brought into the city by all these thousands of people who were coming in. It's estimated that over 245,000 lambs would be slaughtered the week of Passover. So all these lambs are coming in, all these lambs for the sacrifice, and in comes the Lamb of God, riding on a donkey. The Lamb of God comes in, in all his glory and all his boldness, and he's being declared so by the people. Picture that. I just love that. I, I, it, it gets me fired up. <laughs> That's the day that we're talking about. That's why it's important for you to understand that God is so precise in his timing. That God's timing is perfect. And his plan will always come forth. As we look at 12 and 13, it says the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Many had come to the Passover feast. They had heard about Jesus. They heard about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And they wanted to see this guy. And when they saw him approaching, they ran towards him. They wanted to meet him. And they were carrying palm branches, which you might think is strange. Well, even waving palm branches is significant because the waving of palm branches dates back many, many years before this, and it's a symbol of deliverance from oppression. And they're waving palm branches at Jesus. And it's a sad note here that the people grasp only the political significance here. 
They didn't grasp the spiritual connection. They didn't make the spiritual tie. Very sad. Luke tells us that the multitude met Jesus as he descended from the Mount of Olives. He descended from the Mount of Olives. You have to come down the Mount of Olives down a long road. You get to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you got to go up to Jerusalem. This is the wall of Jerusalem, and somewhere along this wall was the Eastern Gate. There is the Temple Mount. That's the Dome of the Rock, which is Muslim right now, operated right there. Okay? But this is where Jesus started. He came down. Everybody thinks that the triumphal entry happened in Jerusalem. I didn't touch anything. It didn't happen in Jerusalem. It did not happen in Jerusalem. This is the road that Jesus came. It's a, a road that winds down all the way down from the Mount of Olives, down through the Garden of Gethsemane, across the Kidron Valley, across the book Kidron, and up into Jerusalem. That's what they were looking at. Has that one not come on yet? No, it should be on. I turned it off. My bad. Anyhow, this is where Jesus started. This is where he makes his descent towards Jerusalem. The multitude come out and meet him. They're shouting and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're declaring him, they're declaring him uh, king. Hosanna means what? Save now. Save us now. Now, even what they're yelling is prophetic. Even what they are yelling is prophetic because it's Psalm 118. They're yelling Psalm 118 at him in verses 24 and 26. It says those words. It's a prophetic, it's a messianic psalm. It speaks of the coming Messiah. And every one of you, every single one of you likes to quote Psalm 18. And this is how you quote, quote it. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know what that was written for? This day. The day I just explained to you. April 6, 32 AD. That psalm was written for that day. This is the day the Lord hath made. He made it special that day. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So this is where Jesus is coming this day. They run out to him. They run out to him. Let us rejoice. Let's look at 14 and 15. Then Jesus, when he found a, a young donkey, he sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Once again, prophecy fulfilled. Once again, prophecy is fulfilled, this time in Zechariah. In Zechariah 9, 9, it says those very words. Jesus chose a donkey. Why? Because the donkey was the preferred method of travel for a king, especially a Jewish king. It was the preferred method of travel. Now, in the other three Gospels, they explain how the donkey was gotten. Jesus said, go to this village. You'll see a donkey there. Untie it and bring it. And if somebody says, why are you taking the donkey? Just say, the Lord has need of it. They did that. Somebody asked them, the Lord has need of it? Okay. And they took the donkey. And Jesus gets on the donkey, and they start to come down. They start to come down here. The psalmist wrote that this is the day the Lord has made for this special day. Now, prior to this day, we read nowhere in Scripture where Jesus allowed public demonstrations of himself. In fact, the time they wanted to crown him king, what did he do? He ran away. He didn't want to be crowned because this time hadn't come yet. He ran away. But on this day, 
he not only set the scene, he encouraged his disciples to do this. Now, what does it say in Luke about the disciples? What did the Pharisees say about the disciples in Luke? They said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. What was Jesus' reply? I tell you the truth. If they are quiet, the rocks will cry out. The rocks themselves. What does that tell me? That creation cries out for the Lord. Creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God, it says. Creation cries out for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the day the Lord has made, the day of redemption for the world, the day the Messiah will come in right on schedule. Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, and as he's coming down the Mount of Olives, he has this view, and he looks over the city, and in Matthew and Luke, it says he cried. He wept. When he overlooked the city and saw the city, he began to cry. He began to cry because he knew what was coming. And Jesus makes a prophecy. Jesus makes a prophecy that all of that is going to be destroyed. All you see there will be absolutely leveled and destroyed. His prophecy comes true in 70 AD. When the Romans come forth, completely destroy Jerusalem and waste it. The nation had wasted an opportunity. This is why Jesus cried, because religious leaders did not know the time of God's visitation. They were ignorant to their own scriptures. They had Daniel, they had the Psalms, they had Zechariah, but they were ignorant to their own scriptures. This should tell us just how important scripture is to us. We need to look at it. We need to glean from it that which we can understand. And that which we don't understand, we need to sit before the Lord and pray that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding of it. Give us understanding. John tells us that the disciples didn't even understand. Look at uh, 16 and 17. Or just 16. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had, they had done these things to him. John says, basically, hey, listen, we didn't make this up. This wasn't a setup. We were just following what Jesus wanted to do. But after he was glorified, they went, whoa, can you imagine the looks on their faces when they remembered? Can you imagine like, wow, wait a minute. Yeah, Isaiah, yeah, Daniel, the Psalms, oh my gosh, can you remember what happened? That must have been incredible. They understood it when Jesus was glorified. Up in that point, they couldn't figure it out. They didn't know the nature of Jesus' kingdom. Why? Because they were still expecting Jesus to take control. They were still looking at the strong Messiah instead of the suffering Messiah, the kingly Messiah. In fact, Go all the way to Acts 1. Don't turn there. Go all the way to Acts 1. And right before Jesus' ascension, right before he promises the Holy Spirit, what do the disciples ask him? Lord, are you going to restore Israel now? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? He says, what are you, crazy? Not for you to know. We're my father. But you will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He quickly changed to that. When did the disciples when did the disciples understand? When was their understanding clear? Day of Pentecost. You are a sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.